What's going on, everybody? I'm Mara. And I'm Tez. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. Here we go again with a love story gone wrong. Everybody that is under the sound of my voice, teach the person next to you what real love is. Teach your children, teach your family, teach your mama what real love is before they go out here defining love for themselves. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. Our players this week is Sergeant Tyrone Hassel III, Kamaya's husband and victim, Jeremy Kuehler, Kamaya's side piece and accomplice, and Kamaya Hassel, our murderess. Kamaya Hassel was born Kamaya Nakina Martin. She was born on January 3rd, 1997 in Miami, Florida to a loving mom and a big extended family. When she was one, she moved her family to Atlanta, Georgia, and they stayed there for the remainder of her childhood and her teenage years. While growing up, Kamaya was talkative, she was social, she was a really active child. When she was in school, she ran track and field, she was on the cheer team, she had a lot of friends, you know what I'm saying? In 2015, at age 18, Kamaya graduated from Riverdale High School in Riverdale, Georgia. After she graduated, she decided she was going to the Army because, you know, she wanted to make some money, school's free, you know. Travel, see the world, all the wonderful reasons that they convince you that the Army is great. So she went to a recruiter. The next thing she knew, she was off to boot camp. After boot camp, she was stationed in Oklahoma, then in Missouri, then to Forest Carson in El Paso County, Colorado in early 2016. While she was there, she met Tyrone Hassel III. But she called him Ty. Tyrone Hassel III was born on August 23rd, 1995 in Benton Harbor, Michigan to his father, Tyrone Jr., and his mother, LaShonda Jones. His dad is a part of the Michigan Rough Riders and his parents divorced. I, his dad was also in jail at some point. Mm-hmm. Tyrone Hassel III, mom, dad, they split. They both got remarried. They both had other kids total of eight kids amongst the two of them. He had a huge family and he loved being close with all of his brothers and sisters. Also, while he was in school, you know, he was known for being handsome. He was athletic. He um, played like every position in basketball. He was in junior ROTC. He was in Kappa League. He was a treasurer of Kappa League. What else did he do? 
He did something else. Oh, he was an honor student. I'm, after high school, he was like, okay, I want to go to college. He was actually doing dual enrollment at a local college. And so when he graduated from high school, he already had his associate's degree. So he did college for a little while. And he was like, nah, you know, college isn't for me. I think I want to go to the military. Of course, you know, parents are going to be like, especially black parents are like, uh... You going to submit yourself for the government to test on you? What are you talking about? So he tells his family, yes, I want to be a part of the military. Also, he wanted to be a mechanic in the military. Like he wasn't actually trying to fight. He was trying to do something creative and something that was within his skill set. And he felt like the going into the military was for him. They said, okay. So he went off to basic training. And after basic training, he was stationed at Fort Carson in Colorado, working as a mechanical engineer, fixing tanks. So one night, Kamaya and Tyrone the Third, they were out at a bar. They didn't know each other at the time, so they were out at a bar, Kamaya and Tyrone, and they kind of, you know, see each other across the bar. They meet, they say hello, and the rest is history. They fell in love. They started going on dates. They started sleeping over. In the military, there's nothing to do but hang out and go to the gym. So they were doing gym rat things together, stuff you do when you're in a relationship and you're stationed on a military base. I mean, there's nothing to do but work out, go to work, and drink, as far as I know. In 2016, 19-year-old Kamaya finds out that she is pregnant. And Tyrone Third is so excited. I mean, he is overjoyed. And then finds out that they're having a boy. He is like, Oh man, I am going to be handing down my name. And you know, niggas love, if they juniors, thirds, fourths, they love it. They live for it. This is, this is the moment that his dad has been telling him all about. And Kamaya, she was really happy. I mean, like her baby daddy is happy. They're in a good place. So they get hitched. That army bonus. No, I mean, you about to, (laughs) the army is good money. But it also pays a hell of a lot if you're married. Did you know, and they be scamming, did you know, friend, that I almost got married, fake married, to a dude in the military? No. Girl, yes. And he was like, uh, I'll give you, I think he said he was going to give me like $1,000 a month. Something like that. It was years ago. And I was like, oh, okay, I was thinking about it. And then when I got accepted to grad school, and I was in Virginia at the time, so, you know, uh, naval base there. Mm-hmm. So when I went to grad, well, I was about to go to grad school and I was like, I just found out I had a full ride to Florida. He was like, oh my God, yes, please let us get fake married. I'm going to get so much money. He was like, I can, he was like, I can give you more. He was like, I'm going to have a wife that I have to support and you'll have papers that you'll be in grad school, getting an education in another state. So the military is going to be like, look, I have to support my wife and my family as a man in the military and they're going to give me more money. And I was like, dang, this sounds really good. This sounds like a plan. This sounds like a plan. did it, friend. I know. You know me. I chickened out. I chickened out of everything. Ah, I should have done it. And I, every once in a while, he hits me up. And he's married right now. And I don't know if it's for love or for the money. I'm not sure. <laughs> they, got, they got kids. So I don't know. I, we don't keep up that much. But every once in a while, we'd be like, hey, man, how you doing? Da, 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 da. Hope you're good. Damn, should have done it. That was years ago. It could have been you. Could have been me, boy. Gots to be more careful. But when they got married, I mean, Tyrone's parents were having those same concerns. Like, you know, are you getting married because you love her? Or are you getting married because of the money and the benefit that you get? You still get money because you have a kid now. You don't have to worry about this extra bonus if you're not really in love with her. But he's like, no, I love her. 
this is my queen. Like, I love her. Like, this is queen in the phone. But I do anything for this woman. And, you know, she's like, yeah, this is my man. I love him. They they really, both sides of the family, you know how a lot of the cases, it's like this family was telling them that it was a horrible decision. They shouldn't have been together. Both sides of the family were like, oh, we could not ask for better in-laws. We could not ask for a better daughter-in-love, son-in-love. You know what I'm saying? So while they're preparing for the baby, they buy their first house. And their first house is in El Paso County, Colorado. It's really close to base. You know, it's really nice. It's the perfect little starter home. But you know how the military is. And picture perfect don't always work hard So because the military is going to take you where they want to take you. And they pretty much picked up the new Hassel family and told them that they were restationed in Fort Stewart, which is in Georgia. Even though this was kind of a shock to their system, Kamaya was like, it's not all bad. Like, my mama here, my family's here. Like, I get to be around my people for a little while. And, you know, I'm about to bust. Like, I'm really about to have this baby soon. So in February 2017, Kamaya and Tyrone III welcomed their pretty little baby boy, Tyrone IV, of course. But they called him Chunk because he was a chunky little thing. And I love that nickname. I love Chunk. that nickname. Come here, Chunk. And he, he was a fat old little baby with the Michelin arms. So it was it was perfectly suited. Love that. I used to be called a butterball because I was a fat baby, too. <laughs> I don't think I was a chunky baby. No, you weren't. I've seen your baby pictures. Sorry, no. friend. You don't make the cut. That's okay. Some some people like them real thick, and I'd be like, that little girl's going to explode. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's okay, but they seem to always, or mostly kind of wear down. But some of them babies be chunky. After they had little baby chunk, they decided to get married and say their I do's, and they became Mr. and Mrs. Tyrone Hassel III. So they get married in May of 2017, and shortly after, they both get brand new cars. Kamaya got a purple Dodge Charger, and Tyrone gets him a Ram truck. Niggas love to go out and get Y'all them a truck. Y'all was out here balling. Niggas love to get them a truck. But um, yeah, life is good. They are balling, you know? They got a new marriage, new baby, new car. And then, <laughs> right. So a month later in June, Tyrone III tells Camille that his younger stepbrother is going to come live with them for a little bit. Back home in Benton Harbor, it's kind of getting more dangerous in the area. And Tyrone just wants to keep him out of trouble, you know, bring him on the new opportunities. Be a real big bro. Right. Kamaya is like, Ugh, no, I don't want your brother here. And she's not really happy about it. And Tyrone didn't really ask her. He kind of just told her. But, you know. My house, like, I mean, it's our house, but it's my house. And if my brother need a place to stay, then my brother going to come live with us. But it's just kind of like not great timing because they just got married a month ago. Like, they're fresh into this. And it's like, we may have been together, but everybody tells me marriage is a whole different ballgame, no matter how long you've been together. Mm-hmm. I always wonder why that is. Like, what about, maybe maybe people take it more serious because you've really entered a contract to share your life with this person. But they're always like, it gets, maybe it's that fear of not walking away, but I don't know, or you can't walk away. I don't know. I mean, once you're together, you're together. But like, I feel like once you're in home living, I wonder what the transition comes with on people who have lived together. They have lived together for seven years like and then they get married and don't make it past two years of marriage. I've been I've been in relationships with people where we've been together for a couple of years, have lived together for a couple of years. But still, what's mine is mine. There's still that boundary there. But once we come together as a union, like a union before the law, a union before God, like now everything that we have is literally ours. There is no, I think people still have their own money, but like all in all, it's now really I us. think seven, I think there's people who are seven, 10 years in who are probably still functioning like that. And still, once they get married, it changes. 
I guess I we know. won't know till we get there. But yeah, he, he wasn't helping the statistics by moving in his bro so soon. They needed to work things out first. They needed to get to know each other as a married couple. But, you know, he did it anyways. And bro lived with him for the rest of 2017. Now, in October, things got a little better because Tyrone was awarded the Army Achievement Medal and the Jeremy Army Proficiency Badge and was promoted to sergeant. And it's meant him and Kamaya were no longer working side by side on base. Instead, he's working with other soldiers in his rank, and Kamaya is still a specialist. And this also means that Tyrone's pay got a little bit better, okay? So. More money, more money, right. more money. So, this is a really big achievement for him. And he's 22 and already a sergeant. So, people are like, much respect, bro. You got it. Like, he's very much a leader amongst his people, right? Like, you're a star student. Things kind of started getting better, and the family was enjoying their lives, working at Fort Stewart, and the brother was still living with them, but, you know, they adapted, right? So in February 2018, Chunk turns one, and shortly after, Tyrone is scheduled to go on rotation to Camp Hovey in Seoul, South Korea. Shortly after Tyrone gets stationed out there, Kamaya was rotated out there, too. So not too bad, right? But both of Chunk's parents are in South Korea, and... Kamaya's family stepped in to take care of him while they were gone. Because, you know, they're in Georgia with her while Tyrone's family is still back in Michigan. And I believe when he left to get stationed, once the house was empty, I believe the brother left also. Yeah, because, you know, teenager, you're going to stay at your house by yourself. Scene transition, we are now in South Korea. When they got to South Korea, Tyrone and Kamaya, they lived in different barracks and worked in different areas. So they didn't get to see each other as much. But when they were off duty, sometimes they would spend time together. But it really wasn't as much as they used to. They weren't doing the same things that they used to do. They weren't saying the same things that they used to say. People like to blame. A lot of people have speculated. Again, I've never lived the military life. I've only been adjacent. They say that it was, they lived in different areas. It just would be normal for them to not see each other for days on end and have an extended period of time of not talking or hanging out like they used to. because. He up there now. When Kamaya first got to Korea, she met another soldier that worked and lived in her barracks. His name was Specialist Jeremy Jordan Kuehler. Now, Jeremy, he was married. He was light-skinned. He's like 20-something. He's from Chicago. And he's a truck driver in the Army. When they met, you know, they traded Snapchats. They were flirty-flirty. At first, they were just two married people that worked together and it was nice to, you know, sit around and complain about your spouse and no, he's not doing this. Oh, she's not doing that. So while they were in Korea at the time, he didn't have a car in Korea. So, but she did. So she would take him to work, take him on and off base. As time went on, Kamaya started being like, oh, Jeremy, you keep flirting with me. And Jeremy's like, I'm being nice. And he's she's like, oh no, nigga, I think you want me. One time, Jeremy hit up Kamaya while they're they, remember we're still in Korea. Hit up Kamaya was like, Hey, I need your help. She's like, Hey, what's up? He's like, I need help getting a plan B. I was, you know, fucking on this girl and some things happened and I need that shit now. And she was like, That's totally fine. She takes him to go get the plan B. He pays for it. After that, he's like, you know, thank you so much. Let me buy some lunch, let me put some gas in your car. And when he does, he like, what men are supposed to do, he gets the gas pump nozzle, puts it in the the car, and she's like, oh, you gonna pump my gas 
and buy me food? Like, damn, nigga, my husband don't even do that. Niggas, don't ever let nobody be able to say that about you. Pump her gas. Don't that nobody so- like pumping gas. Pump her gas. Pump his gas. Pump the gas. I just feel like it's so nasty to be. And that's that. I think that's that line when you're married. Because a boyfriend, it should, it's kind of easy. Oh, yeah, my nigga not even doing that. But your husband, like, yeah. Ugh. I think there that's also a line when you're that you just can't be crossing once you have promised before law and for God. You know what I'm saying? Maybe like, there's those just those less tolerance. Just do. Maybe there's less tolerance when you're married and it makes it more stressful. But I feel like you've promised to have more. I don't know, girl. We ain't married. <laughs> <laughs> so time passed and they were still Snapchatting each other, but it was also very friendly. Like, oh, I like your picture, you like mine. Oh, this is a cute filter. Oh, thank you. But then it started turning into like really flirting, like really, really flirting. And then their flirting on Snapchat turned into hanging out at the gym. It went from hanging out at the gym to going to some clubs in Soul City. Then they started hanging out behind closed doors. It was starting to get a little messy. Jeremy was buying her gifts She was telling him all her business, telling him all about Tyrone and just how he just wasn't doing the things that she wanted him to do. They're like supposed to be, supposed to be friends just talking shit. Their quote unquote secret, heavy air quotes, relationship was was getting very intense that their friends and the other specialists were like, hey, um, we see you. (laughs) We literally know that both of y'all are married to two totally different people. Jeremy... I think that it was well known to everybody that Jeremy was one of those people that got married for money, according to him. And it seems like that, you know what I'm saying, from what I could gather, that he married for money and not for love. So he was already in the process of getting a divorce when he was on his way to Seoul, South Korea, before he met Kamaya, for real. Kamaya was not. You were supposed to be happy. People in the battalion, all of the other specialists, they were like, y'all are getting really, really bold. And they were like... No one hears us. No one sees us. And they were like, yes, we do. Yes, we do. So one day, Jeremy and Kamaya, they were walking like a little too close after they were at the gym. And one of her husband's friends, his name was Sergeant Mark Burns. He saw them and he was like, I know it ain't my nigga wife with this other dude looking like this. And so he went straight to her husband, his friend. It was like, hey, Tyrone, I see something that I don't think that you would like to approve of. And I need to make sure that I let you know you people in the military, they got each other's back kind of like folks in the police force. So he trying to tell him what's going on. Of course, when Tyrone hears this, he's flustered. He's frustrated. What do you mean? My woman is talking to somebody else and they close after Jim. What do you mean you hearing rumors about it? So he calls his wife. Of course, that's the first thing you do when you hear something, you call your wife. Calls his wife and she's like, oh, baby, no, it's nothing like that. They're on the phone for a really long time. He was really upset at first, but by the end of the conversation, he was like, okay, this is this is not a threat. You know, this is not a person that I need to worry about. And then it happened again. It called Tyrone's phone. I see them really close. And it was also Mark again. I will give you that. It was Mark. Mark called Tyrone twice and told him that something was going on. And both times Tyrone was like flustered, had a conversation with Kamaya, was like, oh, okay, it's cool. And then Mark was like, you know what? I told my nigga twice, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That's between (laughs) you and your girl. Can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Amen. 
So a few weeks later, Kamaya and Tyrone were spending some time together, a little one-on-one. They ain't seen each other in a while. While they're together, Kamaya over here Snapchatting Jeremy. And Tyrone looks over, and he was like, this is the nigga Jeremy Martin telling me about. Not you sending him hard eyes. Girl, what is you doing? So Tyrone was like, what, what is this? You keep tell I keep hearing about this Jeremy. Now you sending hard eyes to him. What's going on, right? And she, she starts to tell him. He was like, nah, nah. I don't want to hear it no more. I want you to stop talking to him. Like, whatever it is, it's dead. Don't speak to him no more. That's over with. Kamaya's like, no, baby. It's all a misunderstanding. You've got it completely wrong. Just, you have to chill, right? So he calms down. They move on. But Kamaya did not stop seeing Jeremy. Instead, the next time she sees Jeremy, she tells what happened between Tyrone and her. And she's like, I'm sick and tired of this nigga. And Jeremy's like, he mumbles something. He's like, I'm going to take care of him or something like that. And the two, they start kicking it real heavy. He's like, I don't really want to be with my wife. You don't really want to be with your husband. We basically single at this point. So, I mean, we can take care of each other. You know, it didn't work the first time around, but we could take a second chance on love, you know? Jeremy really starts to fall for her. I want to take care of you and your son. I'm ready to be the man you've been waiting for, like, I'm I'm ready to give you my all, right? And Camille just kind of laughs it off what he's saying, you know, talking about I'm going to take care of him. They go have sex or whatever. And it's it's where it's at, right? A few weeks after this conversation, they had to update their life insurance policies. After they do it, Kamari goes to Jeremy. She was like, so who's your beneficiary? He's like, oh, that's my mom's. And she's like, hmm, interesting. She's like, well, mine is Tyrone. He's like, all right. She's like, check it, check it. Listen, listen. She said, what would you do with $400,000? And he's like, I mean, I don't know. She's like, come on, come on. You ain't never thought about it. You ain't never thought about it. Like, what would you do? She was like, what'd she say? She's going to buy her a house or something. He's like, I mean, he said, I'd probably buy me a car to start off with. (laughs) I don't know. She was like, I'd pay my debt and I don't know what I would do with my money. I don't know, but that's a lot of fucking money. She real excited about it. And as the day goes by, she was like, you remember a while back when you said you was going to take care of Tyrone? What's up? What you thinking? You for real? Or what? She's like, would you actually kill my husband? Jeremy was like, yeah, girl, I'd do anything for you. And she's like, for real? He's like, yeah, I mean, I really could probably do that shit on Blockly when we get back from South Korea. She says, well, it's a date then. Let's do it. So in June of 2018, Jeremy just gets to talking. I don't know why, but he just gets to talking with his friend. He's in his friend's room, specialist Jaquan Hamilton. Now, Jaquan was on the same squad as Jeremy and Camille. They were all battles. That's how they make out real close, real close. Jeremy comes to Jaquan's room and he's like, listen, Tyrone got to go. Jaquan's like, what you mean he got to go? He's like, I got to take him out thinking I'm going to do it on block weave when we get back in the U.S. Jaquan's like, all right, bruh. Like, but Jeremy just keeps talking about it. He's like, I just got to be with Camille. And then he talked about the life insurance policy. He was like, this will set us up with a real nice future. We start off with 400 k We're doing something, you know? And Jaquan is like, yo, shut the hell up. Like, what are you talking about? And he don't really think this he's going to do that because why would you do something so stupid? He was just like, you, you just, he, and he knows that they fucking around. So he's just like, this nigga, right, bro. Like, this nigga pussy whip like a motherfucker, but 
He was like, "Gots to be tripping. You come down off that high and talk to me later. You know? So he's like, eh, get up out of my room. You be talking crazy. So Kamai and Jeremy keep seeing each other, sleeping with each other. And Kamai is complaining, complaining, complaining about Tyrone. And Jeremy was like, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to take care of it, baby. You don't have to stress. When you get with me, you ain't never going to have to worry about this, that, and the third. Okay? That's what they all say. So, you know, they talk about it and uh, goes down. they decide that the best idea would to just do it over Christmas break because Kamaya and Tyrone were all going to be in Michigan for Christmas. Jeremy is from Chicago, which ain't too far from Michigan. He ain't got to worry about even making that drive to Georgia, right? And on top of that, you know, he wasn't in the best area. Niggas get shot every day out here. No, I don't know about every day, but it wasn't a great area. Something could have just happened, you know? Wrong place, wrong time. It's believable. So she's like, this is perfect. And Jeremy's like, yes, baby, whatever you want. I, I'd give you the moon if I could, you know? I just want to be with you. They get their plans together. They spend a little time. They kick it. And Kamaya's like trying to play the part, keep up with her marriage or whatever, but it's not going good. She's sick of this nigga. They fighting. Ty's not giving her the emotional attention she's craving. She's just not happy with him. She wants him gone. She's over it. So in October 2018, Kamaya, Jeremy, and Tyrone, the rest of the company, they all leave South Korea back home to Fort Stewart after being gone for nine months. All right, y'all. We are back in America. When Jeremy got back in town, he went on block leave and he was like, okay, great. I'm going home to see my folks. I'm going to Chicago. So he stayed with his mom for the holidays. Before he left, he bought a gun from a fellow soldier. His name was Sergeant Golston. When Tyrone and Kamaya were back on land and they were back home, they had their baby chunky chunk and they were very excited to be on block leave. And block leave means that you don't have to work. You don't have to do anything. You're good. They're going to be off for the next few months, and they didn't have to go back to work until January 3rd, 2019. So they got a nice, good chunk of time. Like, they have that whole, you got holidays just rolling in. You get to just relax and know that your bank account is going to be full. That's a nice place to be. That's a way to make me go into the military. <laughs> I ain't got to do shit. No, you <laughs> put, your, put, put your life on the line. The plan for the holidays was also very exciting, and Tyrone the Third thought it would be a great time for their little family to see their big families. And Tyrone loves his family. He wasn't known to be a very affectionate person, but his heart was big. He loved his family, so he was really excited to make sure that his baby had to bond with his uh, aunts and uncles and grandparents and step-grandparents, and he wanted to make sure that this family thing really worked. So, for Thanksgiving, Kamaya's family was going to come to their house in Georgia. Georgia. And then on Christmas, they were going to go to Benton Harbor, Michigan, and they were going to spend it with Tyrone's family. So they had the entire holiday season planned out. Now, while they were on block leave, Kamaya and Jeremy were still Snapchat talking to each other, not texting, Snapchat talking. And they were still planning on killing Tyrone. <laughs> or snapping. I don't go on Snap. And but you sound really like the people to... who be like, did you see what she Twittered about me? And it's a tweet. What she tweeted. I don't approve of Snapchat. I don't have it. Every time that I have had it, it's gotten me in some sort of trouble. Every time that I date somebody that has it, it's gotten them in some sort of trouble. And so I stay away from the app. And those that date me, it is required for you to not have that app. Call me crazy. I don't care what you call it. I've been through too much shit. 
I've seen Snapchat on the, I don't, listen, I don't have to prove shit to y'all niggas because y'all are not sleeping with me, but know that if you want a chance, you better delete that app. So like I said, they were Snapchatting and they were figuring out how they were going to do it. While they were snapping each other, Kamaya was also sending Jeremy pics of Little Chunk. It was like, here's your baby, da-da-da-da-da. Not you calling this other man's baby his baby and it's not his baby. Girl, that baby's father is right there. That is a new type of low. She's sending Jeremy pictures of Chunk and she's talking about some, ugh, come get us. Like, ugh, we miss you. Come on, baby daddy, da-da-da-da-da. And Jeremy's like, you know, I want y'all, da-da-da-da-da. You know that's my son. That's my baby. This baby not named after you, Jeremy. You got to take somebody's whole namesake. <laughs> you know? So at the same t- so you know how people are when they're cheating. You know what I'm saying? Their behavior. And ladies, y'all know how people are when they're cheating. Their behavior, like, she's starting to be more distant. She's not engaging in conversation. She's always in that damn phone. Like, what is going on with Kamaya, right? So Tyrone, he hits up his friend, Sergeant Mark Burnser, the one that told him what the fuck was up. And he was like, something is going off, man. Like... I feel like a stranger in my own house. I don't even know what's going on. Now, Sergeant Burns, he's married to a Native American woman, so they don't celebrate Thanksgiving in their house. But Tyrone invited Sergeant Burns over to his house to, you know, kick it, watch the game, drink some beers, not celebrate Thanksgiving, but do the Thanksgiving thing. So Thanksgiving is over. It's December 1st, 2018. Tyrone III is giving his son, Tyrone IV, his first little baby haircut. And, you know, he's cutting his own son's hair because that's what you do, right? He posted it on Facebook. Look at my son's first haircut done by his dad. Mini me, my twin, my, you know, what do they say? My my seed, my legend. What do they say about, what do niggas say about their son? My twin them. My twin them. Like, this is my little nigga, right? He's so excited. Like, he, he, it's his first baby haircut. Now, Tyrone was always great at giving haircuts. It actually was his side hustle his entire life from high school all the way up. A couple of days passed after his little first haircut. is December 17th, 2018. Kamaya, Tyrone, little baby, and their dogs pull up to Tyrone's dad and his stepmom's house. And they were like, okay, we're here. We're here for the Christmas holidays. Their plan was to stay until December 27th and then go home to get ready to be back on base. You know, go home, get settled, breathe a little bit, rest your bones before they have to be back on base on January the 3rd. Tyrone was very excited to see his family. Like we said, he loves his family. But he was even more excited because he was like, okay, I have decided that my younger sister, Asia. She just graduated from college. So proud of my little sister. I'm going to bring her down to Georgia because Georgia has better opportunities. I want the best for my little sister. You know, it's going to be great. And just like last time, he didn't really ask Kamaya. And Kamaya was pissed about it. And she didn't want his little sister to come down and live with them. Like, damn, nigga, I barely see you. And now you want to move somebody else in the house. Like, I understand that that's your sister, but what about me, right? And apparently she kept telling Jeremy, I don't want her to come. I don't want her to come. I don't want her to come. And just like before, Kamaya was upset. She didn't want it to happen. And she decided instead of talking to her husband about the issue, 
she decided to talk to Jeremy about the issue. And instead of speaking on what was really happening, she was just like, I just feel like this nigga don't even care about me. Like, he don't give a shit about me. He don't care about what I want, which is fueling Jeremy to say, well, you know, I got you, baby. I care about you. I'll give you whatever you want. That same day, December 17th, Jeremy bought another gun from Sergeant Golston. So over in Michigan, all the Tyrones, Tyrone Jr., Tyrone the Third, Tyrone the Fourth, and Kamaya and the rest of Tyrone's extended family were enjoying their time together. They had just gotten back from Korea, so the family was happy to see them in the U.S. safely and happy to see Lil Chunk. While Tyrone the Third was in Benton Harbor, he was also cutting hair, hanging out, seeing his friends, and Camille was taking care of Chunk, snapping Jeremy talking about how much she hated being in Michigan with her husband, and they were still, you know, trying to finalize this murder. But something happened with Jeremy. He was unable to make it to Michigan in a time frame that they had planned out. So Kamaya was like, oh, Tyrone, let's just stay up in Michigan longer. And I don't think it took much convincing for him to stay around his family. And she was just like, I'm just having too much fun. I don't want to go home. And he was like, me too, girl. So... They stayed up there. They had plans to stay up there until January 2nd of 2019 and then go back to Georgia. So now Tyrone's all hyped because he could go to a concert at Little Caesar area on December 27th with his friends. Lil Wayne, Yo Gotti, T Grizzly, everybody's going to be there performing. It was going to be live, right? So Kamai and Jeremy, yeah. they figured out their plan and Jeremy's ready to go. He's like, I can do it. I can do it, right? So on December 28th, he goes to a Walmart in Chicago and he buys a dashboard GPS. He snaps Kamaya and tells her he's on the way, turns off his phone, and uses his GPS to drive to Benton Harbor, Michigan. Now, in the car with him, he's got both guns that he had bought from Sergeant Golston. When Jeremy gets to Michigan, he turns his phone back on, snaps Kamaya, saying that he's there and he's about to take care of everything. So for the next couple of days, Kamaya tells Jeremy where Tyrone the third is going to be, like, at all times. Oh, he's going to be here. Oh, he's going to be here. And she's trying to have Jeremy follow him around so he can just shoot him up one day. So while he's there, he's trying to see his girl, you know, come outside. Let me let me get something real quick. And she's like, no, do what you came here to do. So between December 28th and December 31st, Jeremy is like taking several opportunities trying to shoot Tyrone, about six altogether, right? First, he was coming back from the club, stopped at a gas station. Jeremy got anxious. He's like, nah, it ain't the time. It ain't the time. Next, Jeremy's waiting in his Impala across the street from Tyrone's dad's house, Tyrone Jr.'s house. And he's like, okay, this is going to be it. But then Tyrone's brother stepped out there too, and he's like, listen, there's a bro out here. And Kamaya's going to say, well, get them both. Jeremy's like, no, like, no, it's just not the right time. Maybe we should, I don't know, abort this or whatever. She's like, no, we're committed at this point. So Jeremy's like, all right, baby, anything for you. So tries again. He's waiting by the side of the house by the trash cans. Gets anxious. He leaves. She hears Tyrone's truck drive away and she snaps Jeremy like LMFAO. What what happened? Jeremy says he was too quick. And she says, you got legs? She's like, like really? Quit playing, nigga. Like, come on. We got, we got a plan. Stick to it. And Jeremy keeps telling her, I almost did it, but I almost did it, but. And he's like, maybe we just shouldn't do it in Michigan. He keeps trying anyways. And every day, He's scoping out the house, following Tyrone III, and drove back and forth from Michigan to Chicago every night he tried. This was, he was so dedicated like to the commute and everything. This was a full-time job for him. Streaming October 6th on Paramount+. Plus. first place I learned about death was a pet cemetery. 
dead things buried in that land. But come back. There's something else. Something's wrong with Timmy. He needs time to adjust. That's not Timmy. Something's talking through him. Sometimes dead is better. Pet Cemetery, Bloodlines, Rated R, streaming only on Paramount Plus. So it's December 31st, New Year's Eve, and you know what that means? It's time to party. So Tyrone the Third and his daddy Tyrone Jr. They were going to a New Year's Eve family cookout that was just like five minutes away from the house. They were going to be there to ring in the new year, but Kamaya, she was like, oh, I'm not feeling good, you know, and I got chunk. Like, I can't even get drunk, drunk. I got mommy duties. I'll just stay here. Like, I'm not even feeling great. You know, mommy duties. So they go to the party, and that night, Jeremy is trying to, again, convince Kamaya, come on out here for a little quickie real quick. And she's like, no, I'm not trying to do all that. Like, I don't really want to, I'm not in the mood. And Jeremy is like, what do you mean? I'm all the way in this state from Georgia for you. The least you can do is knock me off a piece of puss. And she's like, no. So he's like, fuck it. And he decides to leave. And then at the same time that he's deciding to leave, Tyrone the third texts Kamaya and he was like, I'm gonna bring you back some food, baby, which speaks to my heart. That's how you know that man loved her. Baby, I got you a plate. You didn't even have to ask. I got a plate coming back for you. And so Kamaya's like, oh, thank you so much, baby. Gets off the phone with him, hurries up and hits up. Jeremy is like, he's on his way back. Assume position. You know what I'm saying? And Jeremy's like, oh, okay, here we go again. He parks his car in the driveway of a vacant house that's like a neighborhood over. You just run through one path and get to the other. And, And then he comes back and then he kind of like crouches down and he's super secretive. Um, so around 10 30 PM, Tyrone, the third pulls up to his house. He's got his big Ram truck. He gets out the car with the food. He brings it into the house. He bring in food to his wife and baby doing what a man's supposed to do. I feel like, you know, you bring, you feed me and your son, you know what I'm saying? She says, thank you. Probably gives him a little kiss. I'm sure. And he's like, okay. Um, you know, my dad told me to make sure that I'm not out and about before it hits midnight. So let me go ahead and head back to this party. You know, I, I got you, girl. Because you know it's New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, everybody likes to spray bullets in the sky. So it really is safest to be inside somewhere when it strikes midnight. That's just, just, just a general rule for everybody. So Tyrone the third walks out the house. He's got his keys in hand. He's headed to his truck that's waiting for him in the driveway. The house is kind of like a, okay, I'm going to try to describe it. So the house is kind of like a standalone house. It's got a side porch with steps that have steps where the driveway ends, like closest to the house. There's a front door, but everybody exit out the side door. So no one really uses the front door. When the side door is probably what I would assume going straight into the kitchen. So Tyrone parks his truck outside in the driveway. He walks out of the what I'm assuming is the kitchen, down the stairs, and he's straight right into the driveway. As he walks to his truck to go back to the cookout, Jeremy comes running up from across the street. He's got a 9mm Ruger in his hand. He fires the gun from the sidewalk and shoots Tyrone the third in the head. And then Tyrone 
goes down. He's leaning up against his truck. And then Jeremy comes around, stands over Tyrone, and rings out three more shots into Tyrone to make sure that he was gone. He then runs to his car, drives himself back to Chicago, and gets rid of the weapon. After Kamaya hears the shots inside, you know, that's her cue. So she comes running outside. She starts screaming and wailing for help. She's outside. She's got, what's her hair look like? I know exactly what her hair look like. She had um, maybe like three stitch braids, three or maybe she had four. She had like four stitch braids, but she had that cute velvet purple do-rag on. And she runs outside. She's screaming. She's frantic asking for help she runs back into the house she grabs her phone she calls 911 and she's like oh my god oh my god oh my god my husband has been shot while she's on the phone with 911 she hangs up while they're asking questions and I guess because she freaks out she's like oh I need to call his dad so she hangs up she calls Tyrone Jr. and she's like Tyrone's just been shot Ty's just been shot Ty's just been shot and so by the time that his dad shows back up and remember he's only five minutes away the police and the ambulance are already there. The paramedics were the first people to arrive, and they actually got there before the police did. While they were there, Tyrone III was laying on the ground with blood on the side of his neck, his head, the truck, and the sidewalk. Immediately, the paramedics could see the gunshot wound in his head, neck, upper arms, and his head was literally blown open by the bullet. On site, they were like, oh my goodness, this is extremely life-threatening. But honestly, at this moment, Tyrone is still alive. They were trying to keep Kamaya. As soon as he got there, he was running around. He was trying to figure out what happened. They had a blanket on Tyrone. He pulled off that blanket. He was like, oh my God. Like he saw the condition that his son was in. And even though, like I said, he wasn't dead yet, Tyrone Jr. knew his son was gone. I mean, Kamaya was a mess. She was screaming. She really, if you wouldn't, if you don't, wouldn't know the story the way that we know the story, you really would have believed that she was horribly surprised and shocked and saddened and just hysterical about everything that was going on. She tried to get into the back of the ambulance, but Tyrone's daddy actually pulled her back from going in the ambulance with him. The ambulance sent Tyrone the third to the hospital that his stepmom was working at that night as a nurse. And she heard the name and she was like, what? And I know that's gotta be scary because I'm sure they just said Tyrone Hassel. Like, you don't know which one they, they're, I'm assuming that the original Tyrone Hassel is, is not, not there because he wasn't mentioned in the story. So maybe he's passed on. Is it your husband? Is it your son-in-law? Is it your grandson? Ah! Which one is it? They bring Tyrone's body in and she's just shocked. She's in distraught. And of course, Tyrone did succumb to his injuries and was pronounced dead that night. I mean, he was the eldest child. He was their family's pride and joy. He was like the A-star stellar student and he was gone. And Kamaya, she, her act was perfect. She was acting like the perfect widow when they found out that he died. But as soon as she got home and she got back to that phone, she Snapchatted Jeremy and was like... You did it. Jeremy was happy that finally, this is 
move past. And I, in his mind, and I really do think in his mind, he was like, great, now we can move on and everything's going to be perfect. And I get to be the man that I want you to be. Nowhere are going to have no consequences and everything is just going to go according to plan. Like we said, Jeremy hit the road. He first hit Chicago, got rid of the gun there, the Ruger. And then he went to Georgia and he started packing up his things because it was time for him to move in with Kamaya and Chunk. Back in Michigan, Kamaya and Tyrone III's family and the cops were desperately trying to figure out what happened to Tyrone. On the night of the murder, the investigators interview everyone that was at the scene of the crime. Kamaya is holding Chunk while they're talked to outside on the street, and she's telling them that she was inside and she heard shots, and Tyrone Jr. had no idea what happened because he had just got there when it did happen. Same for the grandma, right? So they collect a lot of evidence from the scene. They send it off for testing. They've got a bloody hat, Tyrone the third's keys, five shell casings, one bloody bullet that had gone through Tyrone, one bullet that had gone through the garage door. There's brain matter on the sidewalk. There's blood all over the truck and the sidewalk. They also enlisted the help of canines and were able to get a scent. And they followed it along the house to the side of the house and then across the street to a vacant house. And by the side of the house in the grass, next to where the concrete meets the grass, they found a set of footprints because it had been raining the evening of the murder. They take evidence of the footprint and they continue to search at the canine and they went and interviewed the neighbors and most of them either weren't home or didn't have any information to give except for an old white couple walter and fern noist they they said that they saw a car backed up in a driveway across the street but the house was vacant and listed for sale so it didn't make no sense for anybody to be there and they said this was the night that tyrone had died and they say that you know they also saw somebody step out the car run over to their house then they hear gunshots, and then they see that car speed away. Cops is like, wonderful. We have ourselves a lead, lady and gentlemen. That nigga sounds guilty. It also explains the footprints being over there. So they're like, great, wonderful. Let's let's dig into this thing. So Officer Jeremy Peppers and Sergeant Mark Lanier were two police officers who responded at the scene of the crime, and they were conducting the remainder of the investigation. Now, when they first came to the scene, they saw everything and heard that Tyrone III didn't even live there anymore. They're immediately like, oh, this must be a robbery gone bad. Benton Harbor is not a good area. Tyrone III was right in front of his brand new Ram truck. Maybe it's uh, like a carjacking or a robbery going wrong. So the police started looking for any possible leads regarding a robbery, but they came up empty. After the robbery theory, like, dissipates or whatever, because, you know, the keys, the phone, the wallet is still there. Come on, guys, you got to keep this in mind. They decide to go talk to Tyrone's family and see if they have any idea what happened. They know that Tyrone third stepbrother had gotten in some trouble and maybe he could be the case of mistaken identity. Like, oh, we got the wrong guy. So they talk to him and find out, no, that's a dead end too. So later, Tyrone Jr. calls the detective and he's like, hey, I remember a guy from the skating rink and... You know, Tyrone had got into an altercation with him, so maybe maybe that's him, you know? They said some words, they bucked at each other. It de-escalated, but maybe it's coming back up. So, police look into it. That's a dead end, too. Now, on January 2nd, Tyrone's autopsy was complete, and his family was able to find out where the bullets hit him and how he died. Dr. Theodore Brown, the forensic pathologist, did the autopsy and was able to determine that Tyrone III had been shot five times, one in the front of his forehead, one in the side of his face, one on his left shoulder, and another bullet grazed him. Now, after the first bullet wound, Tyrone III would have been dead within seconds. So it doesn't seem like he suffered too much. Now, when the investigation team... But he was still breathing. 
It might have just been like a reflex of breathing, though. It might have been a what? Like a reflex of breathing, like your body just doing what it takes to stay alive, but you're not like you're dying. Yeah, because I was about to say, I've seen multiple things that said that like his chest, they were shallow, but he was like not immediately dead, which is wild. When the investigators and the family find out what happened to Tyrone and where the bullets actually hit them, they're shocked. They're like, this is kind of overkill. Like if you're shot in the head like that, why keep shooting him? But at least now they know what type of gun he was killed with. And it was a 9mm Ruger. Now, after the investigators talked to Kamaya and the family, Kamaya said, mm, maybe I should delete my Snapchat. Now, the next day on January 3rd, 2019, it's Kamaya's 22nd birthday. But, you know, you're supposed to be celebrating. And we just got your husband's autopsy back the day before. And we just found out it was brutal and it was overkill. So instead of a party, she held a candlelight vigil. And she pretended to be a grieving widow and pretended that she missed him, posting all over Instagram. Her posts include, um, ugh, my baby, y'all, broken heart emojis. She's got pictures with him uh, proposing, talking about my forever husband. She posted, she was like, remember, baby, now our son's about to be two. You're not going to be here with him. What are we going to do? Right. What are we going to do? She's hurt. She's hurt. No, you let you was letting some other nigga claim him, remember? Kamaya's excessive social media presence is how specialist Jaquan Hamilton heard about Tyrone's death. Now, remember, specialist Jaquan Hamilton is the one that Jeremy was like, oh, gotta take him out to. And so he's like, oh my God, that nigga was serious. Like, I really didn't think that he had the capacity to do this shit, but he he did this shit. And he immediately is like, oh my gosh, I feel horrible. Like, what am I supposed to do? Four days later, he's back on base. Jeremy's there. And at formation, like, they're supposed to wake up early in the morning. I, they do something. I don't know. They salute the flag. I know they do that. Here they are this morning. It's January 8th, 2019. They're in formation. And at some point, Jeremy comes up to him and told him that Tyrone was dead. And he was like, it's done, bro. I did what I had to do. You know what I'm saying? Especially Hamilton is like, uh, <laughs> I don't want to hear this. Like, what? What am I supposed to do? He said, information? and but but Jeremy still goes on. He's like, yeah, bro. You know, I was out there. You know, I was stalking the place for a few days. He was like, I finally got it. He was like, I didn't think I was gonna be able to do it, but I finally did. That nigga was coming out of the house, and I got him bop 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 in the head you know what I'm saying and he was like and then you know I shot him from the street and I came in you know I had to confirm the kill you know confirm the kill is those headshots the final ones that are really close specialist Hamilton is like why are you why are you telling me this and he is just like stricken with guilt he cannot believe that this is what he's hearing so I guess there's like a chaplain on base and, you know, the chaplain's like a non-denominational chaplain that's there to give spiritual guidance. And he's like, I don't even know what to do. Let me just go sit in a house of prayer for a second. And so he goes to the chapel. He talks to the chaplain. Of course, you know, those are confidential. But clearly the chaplain told him something that was probably along the lines of God wants you to do the right thing. And you don't want this blood on your hand. Something like that is what I'm assuming. and. Specialist Jaquan Hamilton was like, that may be my battle, but right is right is wrong and wrong is wrong. And I'm going to have to do what's right. 
So a couple days after, Specialist Hamilton decides that he's going to go to the police and he's going to tell the police about what happened in South Korea and about what Jeremy just told him and how things are getting very suspicious. So remember, Specialist Hamilton and Jeremy are on base at Fort Stewart at the time, but Kamaya, she's still in Michigan, and so are the police, and so is everybody that is investigating this case. Of course, she gets more time off because her husband just died. During this entire time that she's up there, she's still staying with his parents, his dad, his stepmom. They're still taking care of Chunk. They're still grieving and, and mourning with her, right? And so while she's up there, time is going on and Kamaya is kind of ghosting Jeremy. When she talked to him, she was like, you know, I do feel really bad. Like, I do kind of miss him. Like, it is really sad, everything that we're going through right now. And Jeremy is like, what? I killed for you, girl. It, it, like, did you play me? I got, I got rid of this nigga so that you and I could be together. And now I'm feeling like you made me get rid of this nigga so you could be alone. And that's not what we came here to do. That was not the plan. Right. Way down in Georgia on January 10th, 2019, the detectives on the case receive a tip from Tatiana Butler, who is a soldier that is stationed at Fort Stewart. Tatiana Butler and Jeremy were messing around with each other right before Jeremy started messing with Kamaya. And after he got, you know, started messing around with Kamaya, she told Jeremy that she didn't want him talking to Tatiana. It's me or your wife. And you can't have us, but you can't have another bitch. <laughs> according to Jeremy... <laughs> according, according to Jeremy, Tatiana was just mad that Kamaya did it their relationship and that's why she decided she wanted to be like a snitch or some shit like that. But she knew that they had gotten really close, you know, closer than most. She So she called the police and she was like, the soldier that just passed, you probably want to look into his wife because the last thing you want to do is have a murderer at the funeral of the person that they murdered. The detectives were kind of confused. They were kind of like, what is she saying? But she's, she speaks petty bitch and I speak that as well. So I knew exactly what she was saying. <laughs> and, you know, at this time that they got this call, the detectives from... Michigan are headed down to Georgia because they want to talk to Specialist Hamilton in person. They've already gotten Hamilton's tip. So now they're like, okay, we need to talk to Tatiana too. Good thing we're on our way to Georgia. When they get to the Peach State, the great state of Georgia, they talk to Deontay Bacon, which Deontay Bacon, he was a soldier that was stationed in South Korea with Jeremy and Kamaya, and he was able to tell the police that he saw them together uh, multiple times, and they definitely had a relationship going on. Specialist Hamilton was interviewed, and he told, of course, the detectives everything that he knew. He had to wipe his slate clean, got to get good with God. And then Sergeant Mark Burns told the detectives everything that he knew, that he was trying to warn Tyrone, and he was trying to tell him what was going on, and he, Tyrone didn't really want to listen, listen to him. And since they were in Georgia, they were like, well, we need to keep looking into Jeremy. So they got a search warrant for Jeremy's car and his apartment in Georgia. His place is really close to base. And they got a search warrant for his mama's house in Chicago. Not his mama, Lord. Oh, <laughs> they had to see if they could find evidence anywhere. I mean, that was smart because Chicago is the closest place. Then the next day, they executed a search warrant on Jeremy's apartment 
And at the house, they find a sprint bag for Jeremy's new phone that he bought on January 1st around uh, 2 p.m., the day after the murder. They also find an agreement between Sergeant Goldstein about the sale of the guns, but they did not find the guns. Jeremy got rid of those in Chicago. Now, they're trying to get Jeremy off base so they can arrest him or talk to him or whatever, but they decide they're going to talk to Kamaya first. On January 11, 2019, around 10 p.m., Officer Peppers and a squad car go to pick up Kamaya to talk to her about what the hell is going on. And when they get to Tyrone Jr.'s house, they ask Tyrone Jr. to come with them. Kamaya and Tyrone ride in a car, and the cops ride in their own car, and they get to the station, and the detectives separate them. Now, they talk to Tyrone Jr. first, and they tell him, actually, you're good to go home. It's going to be a real long night here. And Tyrone Jr. is like, okay, so why you bring me up here? Now, for the remainder of the time, Kamaya was there. Tyrone Jr. is just worried about her. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. These cops are acting real funny. Now, in the other room, Kamaya is seated in a chair in a corner of a small interrogation room. And Detective Longuski is seated diagonal from her. And he's like, so what do you know about Tyrone's death? He starts to build a rapport with her, and he makes her feel like he's on her side. And he's just like, it's just going to be in your best interest to tell me what happened. So she does. But before she does, he asks about South Korea and Jeremy. And she was like, listen, we weren't having sex in Korea, but there was kind of a relationship there. They asked her a lot of questions, but all she did was lie. And so they decided to give her a polygraph test, and she agreed for whatever reason. And then she fails it. So about 30 minutes after failing the polygraph test, the detective goes back in the room and he lies to Kamaya saying that Jeremy's in custody and he's putting all the blame on her. And he's just like, yeah, Jeremy's throwing you under the bus and you better get in front of it and get what you can first because it's not looking good for you. They also tell her what the other soldiers are saying about her. This is, we're hours into this interrogation at this point. And she's like, listen, I got into a big fight with Tyrone in South Korea. So I went to Jeremy's room and I told him I was mad at Ty. And Jeremy said that he would handle it when we get back. So we talked about it. And after it was done, Jeremy was supposed to move in with her and and Chunk. And she was like, I fell in love with Jeremy because he was there for me more than my husband was. And even though Jeremy hit me sometimes and Tyrone never did, I loved him more than my husband. She tells the detectives that Jeremy had been stalking outside the house for about four days, stalking her and Tyrone when they got home. And he kept trying to get her to come outside to, you know, do a little something. And she was like, I refused. I told him no. And the window was closing because Tyrone and Kamaya were set to leave on the 2nd of January to be back to work on January 3rd. And also Tyrone's younger sister was supposed to come back to Georgia with them. She admitted that she didn't want his sister to come back and, she wasn't completely happy, but the same thing happened in 2007, a month after they got married with the brother, and it was fine, right? And he was just trying to help his family, keep him out of trouble. And it's just, listen, I never wanted to go this way, but Jeremy, he's so in love with me, you know. This was his decision. She also told them that the days while Jeremy was out stalking out the place, she wasn't getting cold feet. She figured Jeremy was just trying to find the right time to do it, making sure that everything was right in place. She said that she talked to Tyrone about divorce, but he didn't want one. And she told the detectives that if she called the whole thing off, then Jeremy would be mad at her. So she told them, she was like, I know how possessive he is. Listen, when I was in South Korea, 
Jeremy stole the master key to the barracks every time, every time that I would say, no, I don't think we should do this anymore. No, I don't think that we should be in this relationship anymore. What we're doing is wrong. Every time that I did that, that's what he would do. And when he took my key, he would come into my room in the barracks and he just wanted to talk or he wanted to cuddle or he wanted to sleep. So clearly he was already obsessed with me. She admitted that the plan between her and Jeremy was 50-50. Before her arrest, police were able to check the bank records and saw that the $100,000 that she got from the army as a placeholder for the remainder of her death benefits, she spent $50 of it on Jeremy. $50 ain't nothing when you got $100,000, but... After this, the detectives wrote down some questions for Kamaya to answer and initial. Here are the statements. And Kamaya wrote yes and initialed KM after every question. Number one, did you plan with Jeremy to kill Tyrone? She signs KM. Number two, did the plan start in South Korea? She signs KM. Number three, was the money part of the reason for the murder? She signs KM. Number four, did you try for four days to work to kill Tyrone? She signs KM. Number five, would you just divorce him today? She signs KM. Objection, your honor, misleading or leading on something. I would object to that question. After she agreed to the statements, she had no emotion at all. At the end of the statements, she said that she probably could have stopped it, but she didn't. Then she was arrested and booked in the county jail and... Wait it until trial. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial. She really threw Jeremy under the bus there. And she said that Jeremy didn't care about her because if Jeremy cared about me, he wouldn't have even put me in all this mess. He wouldn't even put my name in this situation. So clearly he doesn't care about me or Chunk. Jeremy wasn't even in custody already, even though the police officers were telling Kamaya that Jeremy was already arrested and in custody. He did get arrested though and he was in custody the very next day january 13th 2019 they arrested him right after he got out the shower i mean he opened the door he was in his towel they didn't let him put clothes on they were like nope you need to come with us they went took him straight into the interrogation room and when they did that jeremy immediately said i would like to have a lawyer the interview was over he was booked in the county jail and he waited for a lawyer to come talk to him. When Tyrone Jr., which remember is Tyrone III's dad, and their family found out that Kamaya and her lover were the people who set up Tyrone III, they were devastated. They were confused. They really didn't know what to do with their emotions at the time. His parents felt really betrayed because they loved Kamaya. And... They thought that Kamaya loved Tyrone. They took her in as family. They had her in their house for weeks. I mean, she was in their house while the investigation was going on. Chunk, they, you're the mother of our grandson. Like, what do we, how could you betray us like this, you know? And they were like, all this time, all this time, we're consoling you. You're crying. You're upset. We're, we lost, yeah, we lost our son, but you lost your husband. Like, we're trying to, we're trying to console you and you did it? For the next seven months, the state of Michigan began to compile a case against Kamaya and Jeremy. The investigators contacted Snapchat to see if they could find the messages between Kamaya and Jeremy. 
you know, Kamaya deleted her account. And also before she deleted her account, she like Googled, it's going to come up later, but she Googled how to make sure that your Snapchat account is fully deleted and you need it 30 days. Girl, and they got to her account by like 32 days. So her stuff was deleted, but they were trying to figure it out at this, at this time. The police didn't really have much physical evidence against Kamaya. I mean, her phone really kind of came up blank. There wasn't much for them to see. Of course, she didn't have a murder weapon on her. So they decided to try Jeremy and Kamaya separately. Better chance of getting a guilty verdict, right? Kamaya was up first. While Kamaya was waiting for trial to start, she called her mother from the county jail, which is what most people do. And I don't know if she did this on purpose or if she really didn't know that the county jail, when you're on the phone, y'all know it's recorded, right? So this is what Kamaya had to say. Your card was charged successfully. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. Thank you for using PTL. Yeah. 
So you dating this crazy dude? Yeah, pretty much. Come on, are you serious? You gotta be kidding. I'm serious, mom. Huh? I'm serious. Oh, where is he? Where is he? He's in jail in Georgia. Come on, what's your name? I don't know yet, Mommy. I haven't talked to nobody about anything. Mm-hmm. 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 Hey, come on. If you call me, come you the like got a whole lot. While we were in Korea, yeah. Hey, come on. Quick. Quick. One of the dudes that I work with. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think so. You can call me, but I'm you know, I was pretty ill, I was forced. Why didn't you just wake up? I was trying to. He wasn't letting me. And I was... He wasn't letting me, and I was scared to tell anybody about what was going on. You were scared to. You saw through all the time. You could have told me. I just knew that you would be disappointed. I... I'm just telling you, I, 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 you tell yourself the truth. No, I'm disappointed in this. I ain't disappointed in that other stuff. So you're 22 years old, and you see me coming, I said, you were living a double life, and you were hanging your world with Kale, with father of your child, and you're talking about I'm disappointed. No, I'm disappointed in this. This is what I'm disappointed in. I'm disappointed that you got all left up here, up here, supporting you, helping us to sit, and you know, give me up to you, get over the feeling and stuff and all that, and this dude right here. Then I'm disappointed that my grandbaby don't have his mama under his daddy. That's what I'm disappointed in. I'm disappointed that you know that. I can do it. The people are lying and they just, they just, I don't want to call me and say it that. That's, that was worth it. and all kinds of stuff. This crap is crazy. This crap won't be on the news at all. 
Kamaya's trial began on July 15, 2018, and it only lasted five days. The defense Chris Hassel called no witnesses of their own and told the jury they would not have questions for witnesses that didn't have direct evidence of Kamaya's involvement. During pretrial hearings, the defense attorney tried to have Kamaya's confession retracted, and they said that her confession was forced, and so was her polygraph test, which I guess is what led them to the confession. They said if she knew better, she wouldn't have agreed to take a polygraph test in the first place because of how unreliable they are. They brought this up, but they didn't realize that Kamaya had confessed again on a phone call to her mom until the prosecution's opening statement. Yikes. The judge allowed Kamaya's confession, but did deny the mention that she ever took a polygraph. Kamaya showed up on the first day of trial and every day after with her hair in these two puffball buns. I guess they weren't buns. They were two puffballs and kind of like a oversized suit. During opening statements, they showed body cam footage and the prosecution told the jury that this smart family-oriented sergeant was murdered by his own wife and her lover. They said, we are going to prove it with evidence and 26 witnesses. The defense said that the murder was Jeremy's idea and that Kamaya was not really involved at all. This was all Jeremy, and Kamaya might have known about it, but she didn't take part in any of it. The prosecution's first few witnesses were Tyrone Jr., who testified about his son and Kamaya being at his house and how hard everything had been since his death. Then the medic spoke, and then Sergeant Mike Lanier and Officer Peppers, and they all testified to the gory scene, full of brain matter and blood, screaming people, all of that. They testified to seeing Tyrone the Third on the ground and putting him in the ambulance. They also testified about seeing Kamaya being so upset the night that it happened. Sergeant Lanier testified that he was in charge of evidence and that they never found the GPS that Jeremy bought. They only found the receipt. Then they have Walter and Fern Nest, the couple, testified to living across the street from Tyrone's dad. And they talked about seeing the car and seeing him run out and go back in. And they said, you know, you could tell, like, this was something building up because the car had been seen for two or three days before the murder. Next up was the medical examiner. He testified to all the wounds he found during the autopsy. So we have the left side of the frontal scalp entry wound, the bullet entered from the left side of the head and went through the skull, through the brain, and exited through the right side of the face in front of the right ear. So there was an exit wound as well. The second one entered through the left side of his face, above his left eyebrow. It went through the back of the skull and the brain, and it exited through the back left side of his head. The third one entered through the right side of his face, by his cheek, and exited on the left side of his neck. There was stippling there, and it was really consistent with the gun being one to three feet away from his face. 
face. If y'all don't know, stippling is like non-burned gunpowder. So the gun had to be very, very close to you. Then there was a grazed gunshot wound on the left side of his neck, kind of like neck shoulder area. It was the continuation of the third gunshot. That was just another wound. There was another gunshot that entered through the top of the right shoulder, went down through the left arm and bone, and it was recovered from inside of the right arm. The prosecution withdrew one of the autopsy evidence photos of the wounds because it was too graphic. That's how bad they were, that they literally decided to not show the jury. And of course, Kamaya, she gets to see all of these wounds as well, all of the damage that she has done. She was kind of like sitting there and it was a side profile of her. She's wiping her tears away. I'm not sure if she was actually crying, but she was at least wiping her eyes. Then Charles Height, this is the undersheriff, second in command. He testified. He oversees the jail administration and stuff like that. And he testified that the call to Kamaya's mom came from the area where she was held and it was made by her and they played it for the jury because the defense was like, no, this is absolutely false. I can't believe that you didn't, uh, that this wasn't it. Then they had an intelligence analyst testify about mapping Jeremy's phone from Georgia to Chicago to Michigan, back and forth all over. Just because you turn off your phone does not mean that they can't still track it, FYI. And they also were able to track it into the Walmart in Chicago and another Walmart in Michigan for the purchase of those nine millimeter bullets. Then a detective from Hinesville, Georgia, the Fort Stewart Army base is like in the county of Hinesville. She was contacted to execute a search warrant on Jeremy's car when he came back to Georgia for work. Like we said, the defense didn't question any of these witnesses after they testified for the prosecution because they could not testify against Kamaya's involvement. All they're saying is that Jeremy's involved. Here's when the trial starts to get really interesting. So the prosecution decided to call all the soldiers that they interviewed to testify against Kamaya. Very tactful on the prosecution's part. Specialist Dante Bacon was stationed at Fort Stewart. And, you know, he was a truck driver, met Jeremy in South Korea. They worked together. They spent a lot of time together. They lived in the same barracks. And he testified about them having an affair. And when they were on or off duty or wherever, they were in bed together. They were going out together. They were trying to keep it like a little secret, but everybody knew. And he testified, you know, he knows that Kamaya has a Snapchat because he had Kamaya's Snapchat at the time. So there's no question on if she ever had a Snapchat just because, you know, just because you can't see it anymore. Don't mean she ain't never had it. Next up, they had Sergeant Tardius Goldstein, an automotive logistics specialist at Fort Seward. He testified that he knew Jeremy from around the base through friends. And he knew that Jeremy was in the market for a new gun. And he sold him two guns, one in October of 2018, another in December of 2018. Next up was Sergeant Mark Burns Jr., same company as Tyrone III. And y'all already know that Mark Burns wasn't having none of that. He testified that he met Tyrone when they were moving to a different living quarters. Tyrone walked into where he needed to be. They kind of clicked. They hit it off. They became good buddies. And he talked about, he went to the hassle house and he described the relationship. He was like, you know, I used to hang out with him. And it just really felt like he loved her way more than she loved him. I'm just saying. 
He also testified about the whole, like, I saw them coming from the gym. I told my boy about it. He said it was no threat, but I told him twice. But I'm going to mind my business after a while. Next was the infamous specialist Jaquan Hamilton. He testified to meeting Kamaya and Jeremy in January of 2018 in Georgia, and they all became really close. He stayed in the same barracks with Jeremy and Kamaya and testified that he saw their relationship was platonic at first, but in South Korea grew into a little something more. At the nightclub, Jeremy goes up to Specialist Hamilton and was like, you know, at this point, Kamaya's my girl. Jeremy and Jaquan were really good friends and spent a lot of time together. He testified to Jeremy confessing to him about killing Tyrone and about him telling him how he was going to do it before he even did it, but that he didn't think he was actually going to do it, you know? Detective Longuski testified twice in this trial. The first time he testified, it was about interviewing Kamaya. And the second time he got on the stand, the defense immediately tried to get his testimony thrown out because he mentioned that he does testing for the state and because they had already ruled that you can't mention the polygraph, he was like, listen, you you already stepping on toes, throw it out, throw it out, throw it out. But the judge was like, mm. he didn't say he gave her a polygraph. He just said he does polygraphs. Keep it moving overall. So he goes up there and he tells the jury that she was allowed to leave whenever she wanted. And even though she thought that he was in her corner and that he may have been blocking her access to the door, he testified that he was trained on how to not get a false confession. He says, I know that I need to create a bond with her, make her trust me, and so she can tell me what's on her mind. It wasn't coerced. It wasn't forced. It was what happened. Don't be mad because I'm good at my job. He also talks about the written statements that he got from Kamaya, and he said that she wouldn't have signed it if they weren't true or if he had pressured her to sign it, which is... <laughs> the defense rebuts and questions Dr. Longs when he was on the stand. The detective kept Kamaya talking, saying, I care about you, I care about Chunk, I care about what happens to you, you just got to get out in front of this, and how he said that over 10 times in his statement. He lied to Kamaya about Jeremy confessing and about how he understood that Tyrone wasn't a good husband. The defense wanted to convince the jury that the detective's theories are what Kamaya parroted, and that's why she confessed. They stressed the fact that it was late. It was 10 p.m. when she got in, and they didn't. she didn't get a confession out of her until 3 a.m. She's exhausted overwhelmed, it's late, she just wants a bed. She'll say anything to get out of there, right? The prosecution brought out of evidence the bullets and the hoodie that belonged to Jeremy, but the defense argued that all of this has nothing to do with Kamaya. That's Jeremy's hoodie. It's Jeremy's fingerprints on them bullets. That's all him. What does she have to do with this, right? And so during the entire trial, the jury and Tyrone's family just wait to see if Kamaya's going to testify. Everybody's ready to hear her side of the story and hear her speak. On the last day of witnesses, the judge asked Kamaya, and she stood up and said that she wasn't going to testify. Everyone is shocked, pissed, everything. Like, we got to know her side of the story. You're standing right here, and you still won't say what happened? If it wasn't you, then what happened? What was it? But she said no, and it was time for closing arguments. The prosecution begins by saying, you all know who was involved. You all know it was Kamaya and Jeremy. They said it was clear in Kamaya's own words from her statement to the police and to her mom over the phone, and the evidence that was presented otherwise, that she's guilty. They also said to remember that money was a part of this. She put her needs and her wants over the value of Tyrone's life, and her confession was not false. If it was, how in the hell would Jeremy know where Tyrone was in the first place? The defense is like, no, 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 no. We agree with you. 
Tyrone's death is a tragedy. But right now, your job, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is to look at the hard, cold facts. Without sympathy and without empathy, you have to take that out. You need to look at the facts. And the facts that are presented do not point to her as a killer. Everybody in here keeps talking about a Snapchat account, but we have no proof of a Snapchat account. You can't, they, you have proof that she has communicated on Snapchat. Great. Great. She has had a Snapchat before. Everybody can agree. Fine. But you don't have anything to show that she planned a murder on Snapchat. There's no evidence of a plot or not a plot because there's not one of murder. He said, the evidence just does not show that she was a part of this plan to kill Tyrone. The defense ended their closing arguments by saying, listen, evidence and facts, evidence and facts, that is what you have to go off on. Just knowing about the murder does not make you guilty of murder. You know what I'm saying? Or else, Specialist Jaquan Hamilton, he should be charged with murder because he knew about it. She waited and held off on telling the police the plan that Jeremy had, just like Specialist Hamilton waited and held off before he came forth to the police telling about Jeremy's plan. So shouldn't he be charged with murder? As far as physical evidence, baby, you got none. You know what I'm saying? You have no physical evidence that shows that she, my client was committing murder. You have no evidence that my client was planning to commit murder. You don't have it, but you got some on Jeremy. Let's not waste the court's time. Let's just use our time and resources to make sure that justice is served with the person that we can guarantee pulled the trigger on Tyrone Hassel III. After closing arguments, the jury went and it was time for them to deliberate. Now, Kamaya, she was charged with conspiracy to commit murder, but she was also charged with open murder, which only certain states have that. And if y'all remember from a couple episodes ago, open murder means that the jury will decide if it's first degree, second degree murder. That was their best chance because, you know, the prosecution knew that they really didn't have that physical evidence and they were really holding their breath for this one. After an hour of deliberation on July 18th, 2019, they came back with a verdict and they found Kamaya Hassel guilty of first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. During sentencing, there wasn't much of anything for the jury to decide because in Michigan, when you're convicted of first degree murder, mandatory life sentence. But there was a sentencing hearing, and at the hearing, Tyrone the Third's mom, LaShonda Jones, made a brief statement about the impact of the loss of her son and how they're grateful that justice has been done. Just like her trial, Kamaya chose not to speak during her sentencing hearing. Now, for Jeremy's trial, the week before he was supposed to go to trial, he decided, you know what, I'm just going to plead guilty. It seems like they're coming for next. He actually was able to plead guilty of second degree murder. And at that hearing, when they were like taking him away after, you know, he spoke, he pled, he was really throwing himself at the mercy of the court. He said he they took him away pretty fast and he was kind of yelled out to Tyrone's dad. Tyrone Jr. was like, I just have something to say. I just want to talk to you. I just want to talk to you. So Tyrone Jr., he decided to pay Jeremy a visit on February 14th. 2020, Tyrone Jr. went to the jail to talk to Jeremy about whatever that he needed to talk about. They talked for about an hour and Jeremy was 
really vulnerable and he seemed very honest and told the entire story about how he fell in love with Kamaya, about how they planned to kill Tyrone the third. He apologized. He was like, I just needed to tell my side of the story. He was like, I at least can give you that. Like I haven't, I've been sitting here. I've been by myself. I've been in this jail with me and my thoughts. And I feel like I need to talk to you. I just need to give y'all some type of information. If I don't know, whatever I can. He said, he was like, listen, man, I was wrong as fuck. I mean, he was cussed. I just feel like if I'm, as somebody that cusses often, I don't think I would be cussing in the parents' face of the person who I killed. But but then every time he does, he's like, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> yeah, he had been in there for a while. So he said, he was like, he was like, listen, I'm wrong as fuck. I, I wanted, I had this in my mind that I wanted this family with her because I loved her. And she said that. He's, I didn't have that connection with my wife. She said she wasn't having that connection with her husband. And I was thinking, this is it. This is my instant family. Like, he was like, I don't have any kids because I did get pregnant, but I married my wife because of the military money. I didn't marry her for love, so I made her go get an abortion. I really loved Kamaya, and I, he, she had Chunk, and I was like, great, it's an instant family. So you wanted a kid that wasn't named after you? You don't care. Anyway. You love him anyways. Clearly, more than you would have loved your own seed. but And Tyrone's daddy was like, listen, let me tell you something. You're going to have a hard time in there because you don't know me. And you all know our family. But let me tell you, our network is large. Our network is wide. And our network is behind them bars. It was Jeremy asking. He said, how should I take that? He was <laughs> like, we, we have you want to take? Is that a threat? He was telling you what he had to tell you. Y'all can go see how he said it. It's on YouTube. Just know you're going to meet some friends back there behind them bars. I do have to applaud, though. Tyrone's father, Tyrone Jr., he was very graceful throughout that entire interview in a way that I don't think that I could have been. And he came by himself. And so I'm I'm sure as, like, the man of the family, as the patriarch of your literal, literal entire family, you... <sighs> he had to do it. I think he had to be there. He had to hear what that man had to say, but he kept himself together that entire time. So hats off to you. A few months later at his sentencing, Tyrone Jr.'s family spoke again about the loss of Tyrone III, and Jeremy sobbed the entire time. When it was his chance to speak, he chose to apologize to the family and say how Kamaya tricked him. He was so in love, and he was just so sorry now. He said that he was willing to sacrifice himself for Chunk so that he could have a mom, and he says... I really didn't care about the money. Like, it was there, but I was doing this for Kamaya and for Chunk and the five kids that she promised me. The judge sentenced Jeremy to 65 to 90 years in prison with the possibility of parole in 2084 after 65 years or 2,109. That's an unfathomable date right now for me. <laughs> 2,109 after 90 years. Whew, Yeah. After their conviction, they were both dishonorably discharged from the Army. During the interview, Tyrone Jr. said that he hasn't seen his grandson, Chunk, since the murder. So we don't know if Chunk is in the system or if he's still living with Kamaya's family. In February of 2021, Kamaya decided to file an appeal stating that her lawyer was incompetent for not getting her confession to the detectives thrown out. And because they didn't mention her husband being abusive to her. Wink, wink. Tyrone Jr. is beyond disappointed at her trying to file an appeal, but it was denied shortly after. A few months later, Jeremy tried to withdraw his guilty plea, but on August 4th, 2021, the Michigan Supreme Court denied his claim also. Today, Jeremy is 28, living in a St. Louis correctional facility at a level 
for security prison. And Kamaya is living in Haran Valley Women's Complex for the remainder of her life, a level two security prison. And those are the bricks. Break it up, break it up, break it up. Ooh, that was a whole story. Um, All right, y'all. It is time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I didn't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. I got a list, and I think I wrote something down for you. I ain't do it, but if I did, I wouldn't have shot him so close. They trained y'all how to shoot an army, right? It seems like he was already down when he shot him from the sidewalk, but he went up to confirm the kill. And you know what he said? He was just like, I was just, I was like, I was really mad at Kamaya at that point. He was like, I, you know, they say it was overkill. He was like, it's not that I had any beef with Tyrone. Him. It's that I was like, here, Kamaya, this what you want? This what you want? It's done. Like, y'all need to be able to control your mo- men. You need to be able to control your emotions without the influence of women. Period. Like, there's nothing more attractive to women than an emotionally intelligent man. And clearly, he was not that. And it seemed very much like Tyrone was, from what I could gather. Does it, though? He heard that his girl was was walking with the gym with somebody. His first thing was to go and have a conversation with her. He didn't go on no rah-rah shit. I think, he, I think you're missing the other side of emotionally intelligent because it's also, if she's over there feeling some type of way, how are you not tapped into that? You got all these clues around you saying, your girl is not happy and she is cheating on you. And you're like, nah, everything's fine. She said, we good, we're good. But an emotional, emotional intelligence is with you and with yourself. It sounds like they were lacking a connection because he was clearly knew how to control himself, but he had no way of connecting with her in the way that she needed. And I think his dad admitted that too. It was like, he loved her and he loved her hard, but he wasn't an affectionate person. And it's hard being with somebody that's not an affectionate person if you're not even listening or trying to understand their love language. You're not trying to meet them where they are because you want to be in your bubble and you want what you want and only what you want. And you don't realize that a, that a relationship, yeah, it's about what you can do for me. Yeah, we got nice cars. Yeah, we got nice sis. Yeah, I know that you love me, but I need to see and feel love this way. You know what I'm saying? I need to, I think that was where he was missing the connection with her. I don't think it was anything wrong with his emotional intelligence as an individual. Well, I mean, but it's not, it's not just within yourself. It's your empathy also and your social skills also. So while he might have been able to compose himself, that didn't mean he knew how to like connect or respond to other people's feelings. Being emotionally intelligent also means when somebody cries, you give them a hug. You respond to their emotions also. It's how you respond to other people's emotion. And if your girl is disconnected and unengaged and all that stuff, and you just keep doing the same old thing, you don't know how to respond to her or like even take the steps to fix it. But who's saying that he wasn't, right? Like, if he's got... Y'all, I'm feeling like a stranger in his house. At no point was he like, baby, what's going on? And trust me, ladies that know that I have friends, I have people that know, if once you start cheating and you're gone, you don't care. That person may be trying to pick up the situation. They may be trying to connect with you. They may be trying to reconnect and get y'all back on the same chain. So once your mind is already set on this other thing, you're checked out. She was doing very... can never be fixed. It depends on how deep it goes. But for most times, no. Go ahead and start over with another relationship. Start out fresh. Because trust is like a mirror. You may be able to put it back together, but you can still see the cracks in that motherfucker. I feel like I quoted that right. 
I ain't do it, but if I did, Jeremy, you were really on the right track with the external GPS. That was great thinking. You bought it in cash. Also great thinking. You left the receipt in your car. Not your best moment. I ain't do it if I did. Jeremy, it wasn't enough, man. First of all, y'all got to stop acting like just because it's got a lot of zero. I mean, just because it's got five zeros, it's going to change your your life forever. Like, you're not going to get away with that. You don't plan that shit to get away with it, man. And it's just, when you sit there and you say $400, is it really worth your life? If you really put it on the table, be like, you could get away. You got about a 30% chance, but you could get away. Are you really going to bet your life for it? That nigga's not getting out until 2,109, possibly. And I agree with you to a certain extent because I wrote that down on my list too as like it's crazy that you can be bought, but it really feels like Jeremy did not care about the money that he really, because what's that girl name that was in, that got shot in the spine and then she got into the wheelchair and her nor her man had a job mm-hmm. and they were just living off the life insurance check. Mm-hmm. Y'all remember the case. They were in it for the money. It seems like they both, they're so both doing fairly well in the military. So it really wasn't about the money, at least for him. I think Kamaya it was. I think there was definitely a little money hunger in there. But he, it wasn't a price for him. The price was this family and this love and this fantasy life. And let me tell y'all something. These like, oh, we're going to decide what our kids' names are now. No, we do that in high school. Step into the real world. You can't just have an Insta family. You can't. It takes work and time and effort and a lot of real communication that is person to person. That shit is toxic. When it's instant grits ain't as good as the grits that you have to sit and let simmer for a while. Like, you need to... Instant doesn't work. It never works. And the lesbians know that it never works, but they still do it. The straights are clearly doing it as well. All of us are fucked. You know what I find is tea is crazy. And I was going to mention this then, but I'm glad that we're here. It's crazy. Kamaya, you don't hear from any side of her family. Her mom, we didn't say her mom's name because we could not find her mom's name. Her mom, you saw in the video, she's like, that man was a, was good to you. Why would you do that? Like, she got this big ass family, but it seemed like at least publicly no one's coming up to bat for her. Because, well, you was dead ass wrong. I also wrote down that Snapchat is the devil, but I went off about that earlier. Uh, Jeremy, hey, friend, you trying to plan a murder? Why are you walking around base with your big ass mouth telling people that you need to get rid of this nigga and then telling people that you did it and how you did it? Are you crazy? Are you wild? Just because that's your battle doesn't mean that he needs to know everything. Like, you have have discernment. You need to keep that shit to yourself. I ain't do it, but if I did, I would not choose holiday break to commit a murder. It's just, like, losing somebody is already hard enough. But then to lose somebody over the holidays and ruin the holidays, not just for that year, but for every year after, because it will always be the anniversary of... And then just to just be hit with a tragedy like that, like everybody's there. It can't just be a joyous moment because you'll always have that hurt with you every year. You've you've ruined it. For the entire family. And you know what else? That one thing I don't like about the case and cases like this one in particular are that this person I don't know, if this stranger murdered one of my family members. Even though my emotions are all over the place, I know where to put them. I know 
who to be mad at. I know that I can put it all on you and that I, this hurt, this anger, all of that stuff. And it's mostly those rage feelings. But then when it's somebody that you brought into your home, that you considered a family member, that you know, that you've nourished, that you've held, that you've cried and laughed and all those things with somebody that you really cared about, you've betrayed us. Like that, that, that feeling of betrayal on top of the anger, on top of the mourning, on top of the sadness, like it's crazy to me. And I feel like that's why Kamaya didn't speak, but I feel like that was even more reason why she should have spoken because before you got arrested, you was, you were in our home for almost a month, if not a little over, you were in our home. You're a low-down, dirty dog. That's what's wrong. We fed you. We cared for you. We've fed and cared for your children. We've done all these things for you. We loved you. So not only do I have this heartbreak here, but I got that heartbreak there. And I just don't understand why people do. Divorce them. Divorce them. You can do that. You can divorce them and we could still be like, whoa, y'all didn't work out. Remember that 10 years ago? Yo, here's Chunk's going to his first peewee football game. You know what I'm saying? Peewee football at 10. I'm just making stuff up now. But it's like, you could still do that and still live the happy life you want to live. You know what I'm saying? You were still making enough money that you would have been straight. I just hate these cases where you know the victim. Where, where and you it's so like Jeremy could have easily been like, you know, we don't have to resort to this. You know, it might not be 400000 but we got each other and we got love, you know, and we can make this work, you know. Yeah, and like we can live on love. She tried to say that he threatened her to leave her. You want to be a fucking man? Being a man ain't killing him. Being a man is, hey, me and your wife got our own thing going on. I'm not going to let you hurt her no more. She's coming with me and I'm going to take care of her from here on out. You know what I'm saying? That's how you, if you really wanted to rise Just up and prove your love, about it. free her from whatever lies she's telling you or whatever. And then you would have really found out how she felt a lot sooner instead of her daddy-in-law coming to the jail talking about he ain't love me, he ain't care about none of us, and you sitting there with your feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. Parole or no parole? Mm, I'd parole Jeremy. He's very remorseful. I really see that he he's changed. And I know that that's the biggest mistake he's ever made in his life. Kamaya, mm, let me see who you are in 50 years, girl. I'm going to say no parole for either one of them. I don't think that Jeremy has changed. I think he is remorseful. I think that he is sad. I think that he sees that he fucked up. But no, it's a no for me, dog. Why? You know how they say that each time you do something, you have a choice? He staked out the place more than a few times. He punked out on shooting this nigga more than a few times. And each time that you made that choice and said, no, you decided you made a you made the right choice, but you decided to listen to somebody else's stuff for your own intellect and it fucked you in the ass. And this is what happens. And it was so brutal. Six. That means five out of six times he did the right thing and he made the right choice. And it's always, you are one bad decision away from fucking up the rest of your life. That is the life lesson exactly. of the so century. He, that I feel like he not really built for it. He didn't want to do it anyways. And what pulled the trigger was his, like, he just wanted Kamaya off his back. She'd been holding out that kitty cat Then you could have left. He'd been trying to see her for days. He's getting you frustrated. Because you couldn't get a nut? Nah, because You blaming this on not getting a nut, nigga? Even, no. He had to have his love. Go jack off in a car and drive your ass back to Georgia. She was clearly taunting him. LOL, you got legs. This she is the enemy. 
he he was like, all I've been doing in, in here, when he was talking to Jeremy's dad, he was like, all I've been doing in here, Jeremy's dad, um, when he was talking to Tyrone Jr., he was like, all I've been doing in here, he was like, this is my first time ever touching the Bible, and I just see that she's just, um, he was like, and I've been reading, and I just can't believe all this stuff. Yeah, it, it, now you're going to have to sit there and learn from your mistakes, and hopefully while you're in there, you have learned something from this that will help the next person that is not in this situation, but you did it. And I just, I, I, I both of y'all can sit. You don't want her on your parole board. You don't want her. Don't take the chances. Uh, I would love to be on a parole board. I actually think I'd probably be more lenient. It really depends. Ignorance is bliss. Um, <laughs> all right. That's the end of the show, ain't it? Mm, yeah. We did that. It's time for some reviews. Okay, so this one is from KSR287 exclamation point. It says, yes, please. Two young black women breaking down crimes done by other black women without the bias and favoritism. Um, yes, please. I just started my true crime journey and this was recommended to me. So glad I did. Hearing y'all talk is so refreshing. I can't say, I can't wait to see where y'all will be in another two years if y'all keep up like this. Thanks so much. That is so great, and I feel so happy that you said that. You know what would have been even better if that you gave us all that love and gave us five stars instead of four. But um, doubt you'll go back and change it. Everybody's like, I did. I doubt you'll actually go back and change it. But that would have been what would have helped us for the next two years. This one says, "Just amazing, girl." When I tell you this podcast has a hold on me. I listen to y'all as much as I listen to Renaissance, basically all day, every day. I listen at work, in the car, when my boyfriend is getting on my nerves. I literally can't get enough. I'm currently listening to older episodes and I'm dreading catching up. You guys truly are the perfect blend of the read and crime junkie and I love it. Please keep up the good work. It's nice hearing stories told by Black people. Love it. P.S. In the dream world, it would be amazing to have a crossover episode with the read. Love y'all. Yeah, girl, in my dream world, too. <laughs> Quite a dream world. <laughs> I mean, we are living far in the dream world. They don't like guests, and neither do we. So I appreciate it, though. You speak that over my life. Amen. I accept it. But that is the end of the show for real. If you guys want to keep up with us, you can on a multitude of platforms. You can send us an email if you want to just say hi, give us case suggestions, write a review. You can do that at sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at sisterswhokill. Follow us on Instagram so you can see all the pictures from the case at sisterswhokillpod. Follow us on TikTok at sisterswhokillpodcast. And you can join the discussion group if you answer the questions to get in. And also, let's have a conversation about the discussion group while we're here. Hey, y'all. We're about to lose the discussion group. And not because of Mara, and not because of Taz, because the powers that be that are not run by people that speak and act like us or have the same humor as us are taking down our things because I need y'all to be more creative in the way that you speak online because we are actively talking about crime and murder and gore. And I can't believe this nigga did this. So, um, you know, be creative, you know. Change E's to threes, A's to the at sign, add punctuation, don't spell things correctly. You can be a little ratchet in our group. The worse grammar that you have, the more likely that the computer, because people are like, I didn't say anything bad. 
You didn't. But a human's not reading that. A computer is. And a computer's putting those words together as bad words. So get creative so that the computer doesn't see that we're saying bad words. Capiche? Capiche. Because if this discussion group closes down, I'm not going to have the energy to make another one. And I'm not talking like just cussing. Right. Like beat and kill. Like I know it's true crime, dead, hate. All those words, yeah. They sound like bullying language. And that's kind of what we're coming, we're getting flagged for threatening behavior. Right. And then like Alyssa, which is an episode from a couple of weeks ago, when that she, that she killed her mom, somebody put in a discussion group, killing your mom is crazy. Killing your mom is crazy. And even that I didn't approve in the discussion group because even though your was just YA, so that would be fine. But at the end, it would say mom is crazy. Right. The computer picks that up as hate speech. Y'all get what I'm saying? We got to be sneaky. We live in a white world. And we want to continue to commune with y'all. Because I love the discussion group. I do. And I think that you guys do too. Yo, they they love that shit. (laughs) Now that they got some act right. (laughs) All right, y'all. I think that's all that I had to say. Anything else, friend? Talk to us. We talk back. Bye.